Amen. How is everybody today? Everybody doing all right? In homes and here in person, we are glad to have you at North. We hope you enjoyed the snow day, uh, or snow week, I guess we could say. Uh, My boys did not go to school one time, which is unfortunate. I'm just kidding. I had a great time uh, with them for some of it, Uh, and uh, for others of it, we were... We made it, right? And so we all, we were really glad to have that. We're glad that roads and everything were able to clear up uh, so that we could be here today. And so hope you enjoyed that. Hope you've come. You've got your coffee. You've got your donut. You've got your sun drop. And you are ready to worship in the Word. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. We are in our I Promise series. Tracing God's hand through the old covenant, old covenants that we see in the Old Testament. And so how God was moving in his people, despite our sin, despite our unloveliness, that God pursued us time and time again. Last week, or two weeks ago, excuse me, we talked about the preservation of the promise We talked about God's covenant with Noah and how God guided Noah, literally preserved the life of humankind and of all of nature as well in creation, preserved it through the flood with the ark. Uh, And God preserved that. Despite man's sin, God made a way in his wrath. He provided mercy. Last week, we talked about the people of the promise. We talked about Abraham and through Abraham's seed, how all the nations of the world would be blessed. And this was an everlasting covenant. This was a covenant that could not be done away with. It could not, uh, it, was an, it was everlasting. The promises would stand forever, even if people would take a trip outside the blessings of those covenants through their obedience. But this week, we learn the point of the promise. The point of the promise. What is the purpose for God's covenant with Moses? And I'm going to be honest with you guys. The reason why we're talking about the point of it is because we ain't got time to talk about the detail of it. All right, we're talking about 20 plus chapters of law. In fact, what we read and where Israel is, they will spend their time there until Numbers chapter 10. So really, we're talking about all of Leviticus. We're talking about the entirety of Exodus after Exodus 19 all the way up into Numbers chapter 10. So we're talking about a massive chunk of the scripture. It's why the law, the Torah, is called the Torah. And so we'll be looking at that, but we want to drive home the point. Why is it that God would make this covenant with man? And so to illustrate that, I have a game that we're going to play. All right, we'll... Uh, I, I did not communicate with him, th- this to him well this week, and he was gracious enough to do this on Friday or Saturday? Friday? Yesterday, okay. I, I had planned to do this the whole time, and I just didn't. He's not bitter about it at all. Uh, I, I had planned to do this the whole time, but we were only in office one day, man. So, like, I mean, come on. But uh, I have this game, and y'all have played this game before. This, is, this game is called Spot the Difference. All right, where we'll give you a picture, you've got to study every aspect of this picture, and then we're going to give you a second picture that looks identical, 
with a few changes, all right? And so we want to see how many, and apparently from last uh, service, I found that couples and families are going to work together. So you might as well work together. That's fine because you're going to cheat anyway. So we'll just, we'll give you grace there. All right, so our first picture is this right here. So I want to give you a few seconds. We'll flip back and forth one time after this, okay? So you'll get a chance to catch as many differences as you can. There are going, there's going to be 10 differences between the pictures, I know this is the most random picture ever, by the way, but it was the only one that I felt like you could see. And let me just tell you, I'm standing here before you for the first time with contacts in. I'm officially old, y'all. I got my glasses are coming this week. I can't see. I was recording a video for y'all and for the church website, and I couldn't read the teleprompter. So COVID at least has taught me that I am blind as a bat. So uh, if you can't make that out, I apologize, but track with us anyway, all right? You've had enough time to look at the picture, get all the details, the colors, all the things that are in the periphery, all that good stuff. Give us the second picture. All right. Y'all are pointing to stuff. I see pointing. I'm seeing some hand motions, some gestures of things that have changed. This is a different picture. If you, if you didn't catch that, you're in trouble. This, this is a different picture. All right, everybody, this is good. This is good. We got a healthy murmur in the church here, all right? Uh, Okay, here's what I want you all to do. Guys in the back, if you will, go to the back slide. So go back one to the original picture one more time. We're going to go back to the original picture and see if you pick up any more. There's 10. Yeah, there's 10. My wife has three. All right. Three, two, one. All right. How many have you got? Who's got more than five? More than five changes. Raise your hand if you got more than five changes. All right. How many of you found six changes? How many of you found seven changes? Seven was the winner last service. Eight changes. All right. So seven. seven who, who was my sevens? Seven was the magic number last service, too. Awesome. So we don't know if y'all are lying or not, but we're going to trust you that you aren't. There are, but there are 10 total changes. All right, give us the last picture. Show us some of those changes. Yep, one more. There they go. All right. There are all 10 of the changes. You can see the circles where they circle different, I circled different things. By the way, I am not, uh, I am not very technologically inclined so it doesn't look great, but that, that's, that's my, I made those circles. All right, and the last one, did anybody get the tongue, the little girl's tongue sticking out? Okay, because that was the last one. I, I, that was, I've got all of them except that one, and it took me a long time to get that one, but there's, there's that. All right, and so what's the point of this activity, right? What's the point of a spot the difference game, right? You have identical pictures, but you subtly make some changes. And the idea of making these changes is to see if you can spot what is the difference. What we see in the law of Moses, if we're not careful, we will take those 20 chapters out of the context, out of context, and we will say that the point of the Mosaic law is for God's people to abide by rules. But this is not the point of the Mosaic law. And we'll see that in just a moment. But just like you have to pour over this picture, God desires. 
whether you're Israel way back when or today as a child of God, God desires because his presence and his relationship is toward you that you live differently from the world. When the world looks at you, and the point of the Mosaic Covenant was when God, when people look at God's people in Israel, they are not to be subtly different, small changes that you may or may not notice, but they are to be completely different than the world and the people groups around them. They are to be different. Why? Because where the presence of God is, there is a difference. And not because God just wants them to abide by do's and don'ts, but because they are God's chosen people. It speaks to relationship over religion. But let's look first at the rules. Number one, let's look at the rules. This is Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 3. And we're going to be everywhere today. We're going to be all over this. So uh, make sure that you got your Bible drill uh, Bible ready to go. All right, and uh, Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 through 8. Listen to what it says. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He had brought calamity on the Egyptians, that they were defenseless. The greatest military power for at least a period of time were defenseless because they were all at the bottom of the Red Sea. And I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. He spoke these words to Moses. Listen to what happens in verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people, and he set before them all of these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken to us, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Even before the law was laid out extensively, the people of Israel said, Yep, we'll do whatever it is that God has spoken. Now, this is the second time that God has revealed himself to Moses at this mountain. This is Mount Sinai, as we read about it in Exodus and in Leviticus. But another name for Mount Sinai was Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb was where Moses, in the region that Moses found his wife. After he, after he killed the Egyptian and he fled, Moses went to this region, the Sinai Peninsula region, and he found his spouse. This is also where God appears to him on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, depending on what part of the text you're reading, in the form of a burning bush. And he would explain to Moses his plan for his people that were in slavery in Egypt. And so God would communicate a message to Moses at Mount Horeb, now, 
Fast forward from that time, by the way, it was referred to in Scripture often as the Mount of God, the Mountain of God. And so, but why? Because God met with man. He met with Moses there. So now this is the second message that we get. Remember, uh, the, the cha- actually the chapter before this, we have uh, Jethro, Moses' uh, father-in-law, who's coming and giving advice on how he should judge and how he should rule in Israel. Well, why is he saying that? Why is he coming and talking about that? Because they're back home. They went past his house, right? And so he joins with them and he gives them advice. And so he's in this region for the second time hearing the voice of God. Having earlier received news of the rescue of God's people, Moses would now receive the religion of God's people. This is the religion of God's people. And so for the next 20 chapters, we have the religion that God provides for the people to live by. Now, in our day and in our context, especially amongst prominent pastors and teachers in this day, religion has gotten a bad rap. Religion is something that we don't want, right? We don't want religion. We want relationship, right? We want to be in relationship. And so religion has gotten a bad rap. But James 1 tells us that pure religion and undefiled before God is this, to care for widows and orphans and to keep yourself unstained from the sin of the world. Right? That there is a point where religion is important. The problem is we live in a day and age that will emphasize religion over relationship. And so in your notes, listen to this. You can have religion without relationship. But you cannot have relationship without religion. Religion without relationship is legalism. It is a list of do's and don'ts. And sadly to some, the Mosaic Covenant is just a list of do's and don'ts. That we are to keep the Ten Commandments, we are to keep the Levitical law. And by the way, Israel sort of bought this concept. This is a list of things that we have to do in order to be holy before God. But what did God promise in this text of Scripture? You will be my chosen people. If you want me, you will be at a certain extent religious, because you're in relationship with me. You see, because you can have religion without relationship. You can fake it as long as you want. For a certain amount of time, you can fake it. But you can't have relationship without religion. Well, Alan, what do you mean? I'm married. I have a relationship with my spouse. More than that, I'm a father. I have a relationship with my kids. And doesn't every dad or mother know that when you have relationship ties to family, you can't do everything that you want to do? If I had my way, I'd never eat at McDonald's. I'd never eat there. But lo and behold, we go to McDonald's. Why? Because I'm in a relationship with my family and it affects my religion. It affects what I do. Religion is what is fleshed out on the outside. My family impacts the way that I live my life. I can't do anything. After I get off work, I can't do whatever I want to and come home whenever I want to. Why? Because I'm going to have a ticked off relationship when I get home. 
right? Especially if I don't communicate it, which is where I get in most trouble. I can't do everything that I just on a whim decide to do because I'm in a relationship and it impacts what I do. It impacts my actions. It impacts my life. This is the definition of religion. When we understand religion, we understand what we do or don't do in the context of relationship, it just makes sense. And I'm not a prisoner, y'all. I'm not just serving my family constantly. I do it out of love. I gladly eat McDonald's. Relatively gladly. Uh, As you can tell, they have not sponsored this service. Uh, I eat McDonald's. Why? Because I love my kids. And I also love Ardmore's Play Place. That allows me to be less involved as a parent, right? I can send them off into the play place. Go. Free child care, right? I, I love seeing my kids happy. I love seeing my wife happy. And so it impacts how I live. Because God's people are in connection with God, there were things that had to change about how they lived their life. They could not blend in. They could not live like the rest of the world because the rest of the world, every other people group, didn't have the presence of God. But the people of God, Israel, the the Hebrew people, did. And so God had to give them a system of laws. This was religion, but don't miss it. It was in the context of relationship. Why should I do this? Why should I have no graven image? Why should I not covet after my neighbor's house or wife? Why should I not lie? Why should I not commit adultery? Why should I not do some of these things? Because I have access to God. And where God is, people are different. Where the presence of God is, there's a difference in the people. And so he gives them that, right? Religion, but in the context of relationships. And so for the next 11 chapters, from 30 to 31, God lays out the guidelines for Israel to follow in order to maintain a standard of external holiness. You need to abide by the law this way. And if you so do, listen to verse 5 and 6. You will be a kingdom, right? I will make you a kingdom. Verse 6. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Right? You will be set apart for me. You'll be my prized possession. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the promise of the Mosaic law. Of the Mosaic covenant. You will be my people. Don't miss the point. In all of the do's and don'ts, don't miss the point. This is very similar terminology that we read in a New Testament context in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Right? Some of you, by hearing that, knew I was probably headed there. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, after Christ, listen to how he one-ups what's going on. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That it's not going to run the, the, the lines of race or of a people group or an ethnicity or a culture as it did in the Old Testament. But you, speaking to the church globally, made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation, you will be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart for me. 
right? So the blessings of the Mosaic Covenant would rise and fall on the righteousness of man. This is why the people of Israel went into exile. Because they did not live up to their end of that agreement, to that covenant. And so they missed the blessing of God. Even though His promise still stood, they missed out on the blessing of God. They forsook Him, and we'll talk about that in a moment. They forsook Him and they missed the blessing of God, but His promise still stood. But it was dependent on their righteousness. As long as Israel was in obedience to God, God could bless and God could prosper Israel, but it was dependent on their righteousness. What we see in the New Testament, today, the new covenant blessing is dependent on the faithfulness of not man, but one man. On the faithfulness of Jesus. You see, Jesus did what we couldn't do. He finally reached the standard of righteousness for man. And made a way that we could experience God's righteousness through his work on the cross. And so we see that in the New Testament lens. Now, back then, what they're dealing with is we need to be righteous because we're God's people. They would ultimately fail at that, but it points to what we see in Christ. While Christ was fulfilled, has fulfilled the law for us, holiness is still the standard by which believers are to live their life. That standard hasn't gone away. We are to live holy. We are to live set apart. But we live so in the righteousness of God not in of our own works, in our own self. And we do it for the purposes of intimacy with God and mission for God. Let's look secondly at the risk. We've seen the rules. Let's look at the risk. This is in uh, Exodus chapter 34. So turn over with me. Exodus 34. Right? Israel didn't take long to blow it. In fact, I didn't incorporate this in the message because I'm trying to shorten it. But the golden calf. While God is still talking to Moses, the people are committing adultery, right? He goes down, he throws down the the tablets, he breaks the tablets. And then now in in chapter 34, he is remaking the the covenant with them. He is reaffirming it and writing it down again. But listen what it says in verse 11 through 16. This is the risk that the people of Israel belong. Remember, come out from among them, be different, be set apart for me. Because there's a risk when we don't do it. Listen to what it says in verse 11. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go. Lest it become a snare in your midst. Be careful not to get so caught up in blending in with everybody that you miss the fact that I am your possession. You are are mine. You're never going to look like the Canaanites. You're never going to look like the other ites, right? You're never going to look like these other people groups because you are mine. Listen what it says. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram for you shall worship no other god for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods. And you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice. And you take of their daughters for your sons. And their daughters whore after their gods. And make your sons whore after their gods. 
Now, there are some startling things in this text of Scripture. First, I would say, is the idea of the jealousy of God. God, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. He meant it so much, he said it twice. He said it in a different way. Do you know why he said it both ways? Because we don't really know which way he meant. In the Hebrew, we don't have a clear understanding of what it means for God to be jealous, and his name is Jealous. But here's what we do know about the word Jealous. We have the word Jealous in our vernacular, in our English dictionary, to describe how we respond to others. In our sin, if you are jealous, you are usually insecure, you are usually proud, you are usually uh, trying to get your own way, you may manipulate situations, you may use guilt, and, and those sorts of things. In our sin, we call that jealousy. The, word, the, the Lord has a word for that as well. The Hebrew had a, Hebrews had a word for that as well. It's what we see in the 10th commandment. Do not covet. The word literally means do not desire. Right? Be content with what you have. But the word jealous, as we see it here, only is used six times in the Old Testament. It's all in the first five books of the Bible, in the books of the law, and it's always relating to God. Jealousy in for the Hebrew was a word that you only used in connection with God because only God can be truly jealous. When we get our desire mixed in, it quits being jealousy and it starts becoming sin, right? But for a Hebrew, for God to be jealous was a different story entirely. It could mean that the Lord's name is jealous. That literally part of who he is, his character, is that he is jealous. But it could also mean that the Lord is jealous for his name. Either way, it is uniquely tied to God and who he is. But it doesn't come from a place of sin or insecurity. It comes from a place of ownership. You are my possession. You are my people. So I have every right to be jealous of you. The Lord is jealous. Jealous is his name. By the way, this is going to be very important when we look at the New Test, New Covenant in two weeks. Because the New Covenant tells us that God doesn't act on behalf of his people because of all of their good merits and because they've tried really hard and because they have good work ethic that he's going to act. No, he says, you've blown it entirely. It's for the sake of my name that I will act. It's for the sake of my name that I will still bring Messiah because my name is who I am. And so jealousy, it does not come from a place of insecurity or sin. It comes from the righteousness of God. The closest we could get to it in a human sense is the idea of my wife being mine. Rebecca Ostrisky is mine. So back off, other guys. And as soon as some man starts to make advances at my wife, everyone in this room would know and recognize that I'm justified to really have a problem and be angry about that situation. This is the idea of God and his people. Don't miss the point. You're mine, Israel. 
You're my people that I have sacrificed, that I will continue to sacrifice, that ultimately I will sacrifice my son for. You're mine. And because you're mine, I have every right to be jealous of you. I desire you. I want you. And with a righteous love. There's other terminology in that passage, isn't there? He uses the word whore three different times. And for us, that is startling. Can I tell you, for a Hebrew, it's even more so. If you were startled by that word, I don't like that. That doesn't doesn't sit well with me. There is a reason why God used that verbiage. That verbiage is is in Hebrew. It is to describe the worst forms of sexual sin that you can imagine. It is used to... uh, to uh, describe the lifestyle of a lady uh, who is a prostitute. It's designed, it's, it's also the word that's used for adultery. It's the word that is, is used for a profession of sin. The word, this word in Hebrew is meant to cause you to recoil. Why? Because Israel in their blending, in their desire to be like other people in the world, they were not just sinning, but they were leaving the God of their love. The God who is jealous and has purchased them and will continue to redeem them, they've left him and they've played the harlot. They've left him and they've pursued relationship with other gods. In Israel's history, there's not as much reference to times in Israel's history where they didn't worship God. It's just that they created a Heinz 57 religion where they worshipped other gods. And in your worship of other gods, there is no worship of the God. Because God jealous is his name and he is jealous for us. He's our Possession, And so this is what he's speaking of. And so when we pursue familiarity with the world, when we seek to be the same as the world, we are leaving, we are committing idolatry, we are committing adultery against the God of our love. And we're wandering outside the bounds that he has for us. For the Israelites, this meant the destruction of entire people groups. The Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, all the ites that lived in that region were to be destroyed. And if we look only at that, we'd go, man, that's rough. But what was God doing? He was calling out his people. Why? For a purpose. What was the purpose? Back to Abraham. Abraham, through you and your seed, will all the nations of the world be blessed. Ultimately, Israel would bring about the coming of the Messiah. He would be born a Hebrew, right? And so he was protecting his people so that his people would one day be able to bless every tribe, tongue, and nation. Be separate from them. Israel, in your notes, Israel was called to separate to bring people. Bring Christ to people. We have to literally get the physical Jesus to the people. And the only way that happens is if we are, as God's chosen people, live a certain way as his possession, leading us to the Messiah. The church today is called to separate 
as well. But rather than to bring the Messiah, because we live in light of the Messiah, we are called to separate to bring people to Christ. Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works. They see the difference in you and they glorify your Father in heaven. The word church means called out ones. The ecclesia was the called out ones. They were the ones that were pulled away from the rest of humanity, called to be different so that they could reach more of them. If there's not a quantifiable difference in your life and the life of the world, then why in the world would someone want what you have? The Lord is jealous. He's jealous for His name and he acts according to his holiness. It's difficult, church, to be the center, in the center of God's will when we are trying to be in the center of everyone else's will. It is hard to live in God's will when you're trying to be everything that everybody else wants you to be. In fact, it's impossible. Because the current of this world, according to Scripture, according to Jesus, is always flowing away from the cross. And if you are walking in beat step with Christ and relationship with Him as His possession, you will look different from the world. And it's not something that you would have to study in your life. It should bear marks. You should, there should be evident religion in your life. Not outside of relationship, but because of relationship. This is what God is calling his people to. But church, time and time again, they fail in this area. Thirdly and finally, let's look at rebellion. Israel's rebellion. Numbers 25. Like I said, told you, we're going to skip. Numbers 25, beginning in verse 1. Give you time to turn there. Because of the presence of God, the people have to live differently. Because there hasn't been a sacrifice, a a perfect sacrifice for sin, God had to give imperfect people the law in order to what to do with their sin when they would sin. There couldn't be unity without the law because there was lawlessness in man, in Israel. And what we'll find is, despite the calling of God to be different, the nation of Israel succumbed time and time again to the wooing of the, of the world. Let's look at the first one. Strike one, this would be. This is before Israel even came into the promised land. They were still wandering in the wilderness. And listen what they did in Numbers 25, verse 1. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. Not only did he he address this. Like he said, it'll start with you eating food offered to sacrifices. And then you're going to intermarry. Listen what it says again. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Right? It's going to start there and then it's going to progress further. Sin can be entertaining for a moment, but God's end game for sin is not to entertain you. Satan's end game is not to entertain you. Satan's end game is to destroy you, to kill you in sin. But they invited the people to make their sacrifices to their God, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. 
They sinned. They blew it. They did what God told them. The whole point, be different. Here's the law. Be different. Don't join in with what the world's doing. Be different because you're mine. We see strike two in 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings 11, Israel would enter the promised land. By the way, they would enter some pacts with the people of Canaan. And it would be a snare to them. But Solomon, the leader of the undivided kingdom of Israel, when Israel was at the peak of its power and influence in the land, before they had divided into two separate countries, listen to how Solomon lived his life, how he abided by the law of Moses. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Along with the Pharaoh, the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonite, Sidian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. They will turn it away. They will turn your heart away. You can't... Be so close to the world and not be infected by it. It's not possible. Don't play the harlot. Don't go after these other gods. Don't be, don't commit adultery in your spiritual life. But Solomon thought he knew better. Solomon, in verse 2, clung to these in love. And what we know of Solomon is as wise as Solomon was, as incredible of a country as he led. At the end of Solomon's life, he was led astray. And he began pursuing, not forgetting God entirely, just moving God to the side to make room for other gods. And slowly but surely, the country began to crumble under him. Why? Because God can't bless disobedience. So that was as an independent nation. They had been given, they had received the promise. They were in the promised land functioning and they forgot God. But there's even a strike three, y'all. You'd think they'd learn their lesson, especially after God broke them, after God deported them to Assyria and then to Babylon. You would think they would have learned their lesson. But this, in Ezra chapter 9, we have insight and peeking through the mirror of the glass of what Israel was like after they returned from Israel. Or returned from the exile. They came back, right? And because they've come back and they knew what the consequences were, they were going to be holy. They were going to be set apart. They weren't going to intermarry. They were going to be God's chosen people. His promise still stands. That's not what they did. Ezra 9, beginning in verse 1. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with their abominations. From the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men has been foremost. 
They said the leaders are the worst ones. Thinking themselves greater than the commands of God, they chose rather to identify with the world. And in so doing, they forfeited the blessings of God as laid out in the covenant. The pattern of sin and conformity in Israel serves as as definite proof that man could never meet the standard laid out for them. Israel couldn't do it, but I don't know if you hadn't thought about it. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? What Israel did sounds familiar. That us who are called to be different spend most of our life trying to blend in and be like everyone else. We don't see the merit of being God's possession. Instead, we try to live into the current of this world. And so the Mosaic Covenant leads us with attention that leads to the anticipation of one who would achieve ultimate holiness for man. In your notes, you cannot live commissioned and conform to the world at the same time. You're either going to be commissioned to the world or conformed to the world. One of my life verses, Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can prove it to the world through how you live your life differently. Again, not trying to reach a physical Messiah, but to bring a people to the Messiah. As the very name church implies, we too as the body of Christ are called out from the world as God's possession. That hasn't changed. If you have a relationship with Christ, you're called out to that standard of holiness. Because holiness has already been achieved by Christ. Our mission as the New Testament church is not isolation from the nations, but evangelism to the nations. This is all in light of what we see in Christ. And so what about you? Has God called you out from the world? He's not called you out so that you can do a bunch of things for him or not do a bunch of things. Trying to be a good old boy or good old girl. He's called you to relationship. And that relationship changes everything. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? God offers this relationship to you. Whether you're watching online or you're here in person, God offers this relationship to you today. You can be united with Him as His possession. The Bible says if you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you can be saved. Jesus doesn't argue how good you are. The cross stands as an example to our sinfulness. Christ has already done the work of righteousness for you. You've blown it. You've sinned. We all have. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But if we will confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's 1 John 1. Would you confess your sins to him?
If you desire a relationship with him, he desires one with you. Would you respond to that invitation? We've got counselors that are here in this room. would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have that relationship with Jesus. That connection with him. You can be that royal priesthood, that holy nation set aside for him. Not through your own righteousness. Not through observing the law for yourself. But because he is the fulfillment of all the law. He offers life through his son. So if you're here and you haven't made that decision. And don't let this invitation slip by. Without talking to someone. I mean, find this center aisle. Come find myself, one of these counselors. We'd love to talk to you about the decision that you need to make for Christ. Maybe you need to do business with the Lord in another way. Maybe if you know that you're a child of God, but you know that you've been living and walking a guilty distance from Him, maybe you need to respond. This invitation is for you as well. Maybe you need to make even your seat an altar, and you just need to pray and cry out to God, confessing your sins, repenting of those sins. Begin walking in steps, separated, different from the world than where you have been. He offers that as well. Any decision that needs to be made, I want to invite you to do that today. Maybe you need to join Lindsay Lane North. You need to join us in what God is doing here. We'd love to be that accountability for you. Maybe you need to get your baptism in order. We had a baptism, first service, the first first service baptism we've ever had. We had a first service baptism last uh, this past service yesterday or today. Maybe you need to follow the Lord in obedience through baptism, identifying yourself in the body of believers. Whatever decision you need to make, I want to give you that invitation today. Father, give us boldness and strength to respond to you, the God of our love. Let's quit pursuing other things of meaningless value and let's pursue you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be with us in these next few moments, God, as we respond. Be with those that need to make decisions for you. May they respond to the hope that's found in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. With every head and heart still bowed, if you're here and you need to make a decision for Christ, whatever that looks like, whatever that means, whatever that is for you, would you respond right now? We've got counselors here. Love to talk to you. Just find the center aisle. Come up to the front. Find one of these counselors. We'd love to talk to you about any decision that you need to make today. Any business that you need to do. Maybe you're making right now. Maybe you're making the seat, your seat, an altar before God to do business with God. But let this be a time where you align yourself with what God has called and set aside for you in your life. Living in obedience to Him. Living in a religion that finds its root in relationship. Is that you? Is there one that needs to respond to this invitation today? We're not going to, Terry, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. Believe the invitation, the calling of God should be, and our response should be immediate. If that's you and you need to make a decision, do so now. Counselors would love to talk. online, there's a way for you to respond as well. On this initial post, whether you're watching Facebook Live or YouTube, uh, we've given a link there that you can be connected to our online connect card. Uh, it was previously 31996, and I think you can still do that for a short period of time. Uh, 
but it'll connect you to our connect card. If you will, fill that out. Let us know if you've made a decision today, whatever that decision may be. Uh, For those of you that are here in this room, for whatever reason, maybe didn't respond, but made a decision or would like to talk to somebody about making a decision, uh, you can do that through the connect card, the physical connect card you got when you came in today in your bulletin. But please do that and let somebody know so that we can follow up with you this week. Father God, we thank you for what you've done in this service. We thank you for your law given to us. God, I pray that we would live in accordance to it, not out of obligation, but out of love and affection for you as your chosen people. God, we love you and we thank you for what you've done in this place. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Renew us so that we can be who we need to be for this lost and dying world. Thank you for the promises that you've made to us. And thank you for what you're going to continue to do. It's in your name we pray.